0: It's not as if she were a a maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes.
1: Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. (laughs) We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process I'm Adam. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome Hello. to the end of frightening February. Yes, <laughs> it's pretty uh,
0: much yes. over, folks.
1: Yep. Pretty much.
2: Yep. This is Adam's favorite
1: Finally. time. Adam <laughs> is
3: February. devastated.
1: He's so <laughs> I mean,
2: sad.
1: Yeah. Oh. oh. Woe is me! I'll never be forced to watch horror again. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious.
2: Yeah, that is
0: really That's funny. so funny <laughs> that he thinks <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: Well, Frightening February is almost over. Our final episode of the month is about a film that has been deemed by some as the mother of all horror films. It's the movie that appears at the forefront of your mind when you hear the name of its director, Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. Ooh. It's the film that not only surprised audiences in 1960, but paved the way for many other films like it. We're talking about Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock was known as the master of suspense, but none of his films from the 1950s were as shocking as Psycho. Up to this point, most horror films were gothic romances, and this was the film that shook up the genre, setting horror on a course that led us to where we are today. Yeah. The film was groundbreaking in more ways than one. It implied that the lead female character was having sex outside of marriage. (laughs) It also showed a flushing toilet. It's often debated on whether or not it was the first to do so. Not to mention that it also featured one of the most chilling performances in horror history. (laughs) So grab a blanket and some popcorn and make sure to turn out the light. It's time to get scared with Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Yeah.
3: Oh, my gosh. Adam, was this the first time you ever watched this movie? It
1: certainly was.
0: (laughs) Yes. I'm sure you have lots of thoughts. Yeah. I
1: do. It was different than I imagined it to be. Yeah. yeah. But like, still hit me in the way I expected it to. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me was that there was so much more movie. (laughs) <laughs> than I thought there would be, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. everyone immediately thinks about the shower,
3: yes, yeah, the
1: shower scene, mm-hmm. the yep. the iconic moment, right? yep. yeah, yep. And I was like, "That's the climax, right?
3: <laughs> that's kind
1: of toward the end."
3: <laughs> you were fooled, yep,
1: dude. That's like halfway, <laughs> yeah, not even. It's, a
2: third yeah, it's like away. a third, yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. oh. um, What? (laughs) This
1: (laughs) this character's now gone? (laughs)
2: Excuse me? (laughs) The perfect reaction. This is what
3: people were probably, yeah. Yeah. Definitely what people were thinking when it came out. Yeah. If you are listening to this episode and you have never seen Psycho, the movie is over 60 years old, (laughs) but go watch it before listening to us talk about it Mm -hmm. because it's going to be so much better to listen to us talk about it if you've seen it.
1: Truly, I honestly don't want to put it on the scare meter. Right. Yeah. Because it's not a scary horror movie. It's not, it doesn't have monsters. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: It's a suspense thriller. Yeah.
1: But the suspense, on the, on the suspense (laughs) meter, if there was one, it is high. (laughs) I was, I, like, I mean, I was in bed, but I was like on the edge of my bed, you know, (laughs) in the way that you'd be on the edge of your seat. Like I didn't, because, because like, the shower scene happened, and it wasn't yeah. even close to being over. And yeah. I was like, "Now I have no idea what's right. going to happen. Yeah,
0: like <laughs> what, now, what it, gonna, yeah. now
1: it's all new to me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I was yeah. like, the 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 final two thirds of the movie were completely new because yeah. I had no prior knowledge.
3: Yeah, this movie for me was a really defining moment of mm-hmm. my childhood. Mm-hmm. Not because I watched it as a child, because I didn't. I didn't watch this movie until I think I might have been in high school yeah. or college. Yeah. But I was terrified to watch this movie. I was so scared to watch it. I mm-hmm. saw it eventually at the Ohio Theater here in Columbus. Yeah. When I was a kid, my dad told me about this movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I think I was probably about, I was very, very young. He told me about this movie and he would play He would play film music mm-hmm. and, and classical music. He Played the oh music,
2: my gosh.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: and he told me about this movie. Yeah, and I was afraid to take a bath or a shower yeah. by myself for years I,
0: because I it, of the
3: story that he told. Yeah, he's yeah. telling me about, oh, yeah, he's watching her in the shower, and they just, <laughs> you know, just yeah. stabby, big stab, stab, you know. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah. My sister Rita had this big book of movies. And she was like, Come here, Robin. Come here. It's okay. Yeah. And she opened the book and she showed me all the behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. for all these movies. And she was like, See, show me a picture of The Godfather. Yeah. She's like, You see this bed? It's covered in blood. That's not real blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not real. Yeah, it's no, not real. It's fake. So, you know, the movies aren't real. This, yes, he, he was just telling you about a movie scene. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, but I was still afraid. So, uh, yeah, uh. this movie is has a profound effect on me because of,
0: mm-hmm.
3: Because mm-hmm. of that.
2: Uh, I saw it at the Ohio Theater, I believe, with
0: you. So (laughs) there was that. So
2: I heard you tell me all about that, and then we watched the movie. Mm -hmm. It was like, wow, yeah, okay, crazy.
3: The movie, I was, I, I really, I expected it to be so much scarier, yeah, because Mm -hmm. I was so afraid Mm of it, and we watched it, it. Was like, oh,
2: okay going to handle this. Yeah, it's fine. My imagination yeah. was way worse. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. how it is. Your yes. imagination always is going <laughs> to be way worse than what, yeah. yeah. Yes. We talked
1: about it last week and yeah. how it's really scary until they reveal what the monster actually
2: yeah.
3: looks like. Yeah. So, you might not know this or maybe you do. This movie's based on a book.
1: Aha. Ah,
2: look at that.
3: So, before we talk about the film, let's learn a little bit about the book and the real life crime that inspired the story. Oh boy. In November of 1957, law enforcement found the body of Bernice Warden hanging in a shed belonging to Ed Gein. Gein was a reclusive man that lived in a farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin. In his house, they found various pieces of human corpses, most famously human faces hanging on the wall.
0: Jesus Christ.
3: Gein eventually confessed to killing two women, Mary Hogan and Bernice Warden. He also admitted to grave robbing and dismembering bodies. Gein was sent to the Mendota Mental Health Institute, where he remained until his death. The story of how a local man in a small town managed to commit atrocities became the inspiration for many stories and films. The horrifying reality that crimes of this nature could really happen anywhere gripped newspaper readers all across the state, and even the country. One such person affected by the story was Robert Block. Block was a writer living in Milwaukee when he first read about the Gein murders. He was fascinated as to how Gein was able to get away with his crimes for as long as he did. The story inspired him to write a novel loosely based on the true story. He pulled the few details he had about Gein and developed the plot of Psycho. Block's main character was also a recluse. But how would someone with little to no friends find their victims? Block made the character a motel owner to give him access to out-of-town guests. He also decided that his murderer, Norman Bates, would commit the crimes in a dissociative fugue, a temporary state when a person suffers from memory loss. Block gave his book a couple of twists. For one, Norman Bates is not only a murderer, but he believes that his late mother is still alive and committing the murders herself. The other twist was that Block introduced a lead character, who many readers believe to be the hero of the story, and then he killed her off long before the story was over. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I yeah. mean... bait and switch
3: Yeah, it was clear that this novel was a pure shocker to the average reader in the late 1950s and Block had taken a huge risk Psycho was published in 1959 less than two years after the discovery of Ed Gein's farm it was at this time that popular horror director Alfred Hitchcock was finishing up production of his most recent film North by Northwest and was looking for a topic for his next film He had seen a New York Times article about a new thriller by Robert Block and bought the book to read while traveling. After reading the book, Hitchcock called up Peggy Robertson, his personal assistant, and told her that he had their next subject. Hitchcock then bought the rights to the book anonymously for $9,000.
1: All right. So now, of course, for those of you who haven't seen this movie... Yeah. Uh, definitely go watch it. You, yes. pro- you yes. should have done that already by the time you got to this part of the podcast.
3: <laughs> Please watch it. We are going to just talk about the whole thing. Yeah. Yes,
1: It will be entirely spoiled, so yeah. definitely watch it first. Yes. But here's a summary for those of you who maybe haven't seen it in a while. Marion Cream is on the lam after stealing $40,000 from her employer so that she can run away with the man with whom she's been having an affair. <gasps> Driving on the back roads to avoid the police, she comes across the Bates motel and decides to stay for the night. She meets Norman Bates, a seemingly harmless young man that gives her a room to use for the night. Norman has a troubling relationship with his mother, who Marion never sees. Later on that night, Marion takes a shower before bed under the watchful eye of Norman. While showering, a dark figure with an obscured face enters the room and stabs Marion to death. Several days later, Marion's sister and her lover arrive at the Bates Motel looking for Marion.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, Adam already talked about how surprised he
1: was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it totally, totally threw me off. I had no clue that there was going to be that much more movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so much more to yes. Norman Bates. Yeah. And just, it was just like.
3: Right. Yeah. Yep. he He's this young, attractive man yep. mm-hmm. who's like quiet and kind of sad and unassuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so even going into the movie, I knew he was the murderer, but it's like you watch the movie and you're like, oh, I did not expect to like him.
1: Yeah, as much as I do. Yes, exactly. You like
2: have a little sympathy for him at first, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's like, oh, he's, yeah. And I
1: almost, there was a point, like, after the shower scene where I was just like, are we sure that it was him? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is there another person involved here? (laughs) And I was just like yeah i sup i like right. was gaslighting myself into believing yeah. it was somebody else yeah.
3: because he's so clearly he dresses as his mother yeah. when he kills her yeah he's yeah. wearing the wig and yeah. everything and then, yep. and then his like, re
1: like his reaction to the scene after yeah. like ca- snapping back to himself yeah. yeah and realizing what happened his reaction was like so oh did he do it
3: yeah he was so <laughs> yeah, he seemed so surprised mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and just you know so
2: horrified yeah, yeah. All right, so let's get into how it was made. Yeah.
1: Let's do that.
2: Alfred Hitchcock made several book-to-movie adaptations throughout his career, but when it came to Psycho, he was afraid of the audience finding out the twist ending before watching his feature.
1: Interesting. I yeah. mean, you can't stop people from reading a book you based it on. Or I mean,
3: can
2: you? <laughs> if you're Alfred Hitchcock,
1: you can. <laughs> oh, and shit. the book's only
3: been oh, out for snap. a few months.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
2: He was so adamant that no one knew the ending that Hitchcock famously bought as many copies of the book as he could uh-huh. in order to keep people from reading it before they see the movie. He also spread rumors that he was looking for someone to play the role of Mrs. Bates, and he got calls from several agents offering their clients for consideration. There were no guests allowed on the set, and screenwriter Joseph Stefano was not permitted to discuss the script with anyone.
1: (laughs) Wow, that's crazy. Genius, though, to
2: spread that rumor. Yeah. Hitchcock even altered how the films were shown. Back then, it was customary for audiences to arrive at the theater whenever they wanted. If the film was in progress, they would sit down and stick around for the next showing so they could catch the beginning. Hitchcock knew that this could ruin the surprise, so he demanded that theaters not allow viewers in unless the film had not started yet. This eventually became the standard for movie viewing.
3: Yeah, he said that people would come in and they would be like, well, where's... Where's Janet Lee? Yeah. She, yeah. She's exactly. Bill in the movie. She's a she's a movie star. Yeah. yeah where the heck did she go? Where is she? Yeah. Yep.
1: I can't imagine just walking into a theater with a movie in progress. Yeah. Right. Like, what are you like, crazy? I feel like
2: <laughs> I mean you'd just be so confused at first. Right. And then and then you'd have to wait. And then but until, also
3: the best part though is if yeah. you're allowed to just sit there. That's true. And let too. the movie start
0: wait, over. Wait yeah. It out. yeah. Just, it's
2: like the drive-in. Yeah.
0: They <laughs> the do it. At night, the drive-in. Yeah. <laughs>
2: The first writer to try their hand at a script for Psycho was James Cavanaugh, a writer that had worked on Hitchcock's TV series Alfred Hitchcock Presents. But Hitchcock felt that the first script was too dull, and he turned to Ned Brown, an agent that he very much respected. Brown suggested Joseph Stefano, a young writer that had worked on two previous productions. But Hitchcock wasn't impressed with Stefano's work, and he didn't like working with young writers. But when the two met, Stefano explained how he would frame the story. Since the reveal of Norman Bates's mother had to be a secret, Stefano pitched the film's story should focus on Marion Crane, a woman who is having an affair and is on the run after embezzling money. She's gotten herself into a bad situation, but she's decided to fix it by returning the money. Feeling good about her decision, she goes to take a cleansing shower, only for someone to come in and murder her. After Stefano finished, Hitchcock said, we could get a big star to play that part, and Stefano knew that he had landed the job.
3: Imagine how good that thought uh, Yeah, He's like, like he got I him. got him. Hooked him I, in. I got him, yes.
1: Yeah, I did it. He's yeah. not thinking about the script anymore. He's yeah. moving on. Yeah, he he's it. thinking he,
3: who's
2: yeah, yes. going to star in it.
3: He's not worried. He's, yes. he's, he's decided it's me already.
2: According to Stefano, Hitchcock did not discuss characters and their motivations. Whenever he would ask about that, Hitchcock would only tell him that it was up to the writer. He had complete faith in Stefano. At one point, Hitchcock and his wife Alma went on a vacation, and he asked Stefano to write a scene while he was gone. When he returned, he took the scene home and came back the next day to tell Stefano Alma loved it. Because Hitchcock famously consulted his wife about every project, this truly meant that Stefano was on the right track for Psycho.
0: Yeah. Oh, very, that's very, very sweet.
3: Cool. If that's he very said cool. if he said that Alma loved something, that was his way of saying that he loved it. Ah. Because he really like it was like he couldn't say he couldn't. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he but if but trust me, if Alma didn't love it, he didn't love it. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Cuz he really he really trusted her opinion. Her opinion. So if she right. said yeah. no, <laughs> he'd be like then no right. it is it's no. No. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Amazing. There were several themes explored in Psycho, but one of the biggest through lines is the theme of mothers. Mothers are mentioned by several characters in the first act of the film, before the introduction of Norman Bates. Once his character is on screen, there are several mentions and allusions to his mother, who is seemingly watching from her window in the house.
3: Yeah. There's this ever-present, looming... mother complex Mm -hmm. thing going on here you know when she is in the hotel room (laughs) with her lover yeah we can even have dinner but respectably
0: in my house with my mother's picture on the mantle and my sister helping me broil a big steak for three
1: and after the steak did we send sister to the
3: movies turn mama's picture to the wall sam yeah. Oh, man. And yep. like that whole, like you know, yep. just that, that whole concept of disappointing mothers mm-hmm. or yep. domineering yep. mothers. Like they, yep. they just, they really they they want to hammer it in. Yeah, it's yeah. throughout the whole movie. Uh... Although Hitchcock had made several films in color during the 40s and 50s, he knew that Psycho had to be black and white because of the amount of gore. He also decided that the film would be a small production that cost less than a million dollars. At this point in his career, Hitchcock was a household name and would have been able to secure much more funding, but he insisted. He also used the same crew that would film episodes of his TV series. When asked why he wanted to do this, Hitchcock reportedly referenced another studio that was making low-budget films at the time that he considered to be low-quality. But those movies were doing very well at the box office. He wanted to see what would happen if someone made a better low-budget film. Ah. So he's talking about House on Haunted Hill, (laughs) Uh, Um, they didn't say that but that's but like that's what uh, that's like the kind of stuff they're talking about Mm -hmm. they were they're talking about the low budget 1950s thrillers yeah that you know were making a lot of money Mm -hmm. but if you I mean stack them up next to a Hitchcock film
2: yeah and you
3: can see you know (laughs) yeah there's definitely a difference the differences, in yeah. <laughs> presentation, and yeah. you know, and and that's the that's what Hitchcock was getting at. He was like, yeah. "What if we made a good low budget movie?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. so
3: like we'll make even more money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, that's kind of what what he was thinking. It's
1: it's smart, really interesting. It's I wonder why so many studios don't think about that.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: because it's possible."
3: Because Hitchcock was at the end of his deal with Paramount, they agreed to distribute Psycho. But the studio had little faith in the film, thinking that a low-budget movie wouldn't do well. Much like today. hmm In order to make the movie, Hitchcock used his production company, Shamley Productions, to fund the picture. Although Psycho was a Paramount picture, it was filmed almost exclusively on the Universal backlot. Hitchcock hated filming on location because it wasn't a controlled environment. One scene that takes place in a used car lot is one of the only moments in the film shot on location. Ah. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I get that. When you don't have control, it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) If you're a director like Hitchcock. Yeah, where he's like, like, everything has to be He wanted
3: everything to be, yes. He controlled everything. Mm Yeah, just everything. The opening scene is a wide panning shot of Phoenix, Arizona, and the exterior was a real hotel. The film is all about subverting the expectations of the audience, and the opening scene was a huge part of that. The passion between Marion and Sam was meant to tell the audience that they would be a major romance plot in the film.
1: Uh, Yes. I believed it.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The hope was that when Norman Bates appears later on, audiences would assume that there would be a sort of love triangle between the characters. Ah, uh-huh.
2: yeah. Yep. Interesting. I mean, you see where they kind of play on that, you know? He's like, "Come have dinner with me," yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, you don't want, you're not gonna actually go into town to get dinner, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, can, you know, it's just simple. I'm just making sandwiches.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, let's
2: just talk.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Okay. The house and motel were both built on the back lot. The most important feature of the sets. Was that the house had to be taller than the motel, looming over it. And there had to be steps from the house to the motel at the bottom. One really funny story the assistant director told mm. was that <laughs> the, the night shot, okay. which, where it's the motel and you see the house and the mm. mother is up there, yeah. you know, in the window. And so they were, they were getting ready to film that. And um, especially the rain, because there's like, yeah. rain everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was supposed to be it's, it's obviously it's cloudy night because it's pouring rain. Yeah. And uh he the assistant director was like, I thought of everything. I had what? everything. I didn't I didn't want to let Hitchcock down. Yeah. You Aww. know, yeah. so yeah. he was like, I I had everything like planned to All a, a T. Yeah. And then uh, they started filming, but then Hitchcock was like, Cut, cut. They turned to the assistant director and he was huh. like, You didn't plan this out very well. And he was like, oh. and I was, I, I was shocked. I was like, uh, what? what? What's what's, what's wrong? What what's the plan? Yeah. And Hitchcock just pointed up at the sky and this beautiful, big old... massive full moon. Yeah. <gasps> <gasps> oh
0: no.
1: Oh, uh, no. Dang it.
3: And so the the like the, the grip guys spent the entire time, like in the scene, mm-hmm. they're holding a stuff in front uh, to so block out the moon see. the entire time.
1: Oh my lord. <laughs> Oh, the one dang thing—big old detail that goes big right old, under your nose. Yeah,
3: the, I mean the photo of the Bates' like house mm-hmm. with the yeah. motel and a full moon. Yeah. is a beautiful picture. Oh yeah. yeah, but it's like it was supposed to be a rainy night, so yeah. they like Can't couldn't see the moon
1: tonight. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the shower scene is the most famous moment in Psycho for several reasons. It tapped into the fear that we are never truly alone or safe. It also was a major surprise that the film's biggest star was dying only a third of the way through the film. Janet Lee's performance and Hitchcock's camera work make the scene believable, but it's the music written by Bernard Herrmann that made the scene iconic. The piercing sound of the strings mirror the sound of a shrill scream, and the music pierces our ears just before Marion, slash Janet Lee screams herself. The music is so famous that even people who haven't seen the film can mimic the theme, It has become synonymous
1: with terror. Yeah. It gets used everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely everywhere. (laughs) And it's always the same kind of thing. It's like something scary is now revealed. It's such like a
3: parody thing. Yeah. Yeah. yep.
1: Gone beyond iconic into it's like transcended itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's beyond its own thing. Yes.
3: As the scene comes to a close, the camera zooms in on the still eye of Janet Lee to emphasize the nothingness behind her eyes. This was an elegant way to show the audience that she had truly died without showing the body. Lee was originally supposed to wear contact lenses to show the unmoving eyes, but the lenses at the time weren't advanced enough. She would have had to wear them for several weeks to get used to the lenses, and they didn't want to spend the time. So, she had to act the scene without them. When the camera zooms in, that's Janet Lee's actual face and eye that she had to keep still for the entire shot.
1: Incredible. It was really, really well done. Yeah.
3: yeah. And you know what's really interesting is that the direction that she had been given by Hitchcock
1: mm-hmm. was
3: uh-huh. that every time she mo- every time she saw the camera move, she had to move too. Oh. Uh-huh. That was the direction that he gave her. He told her, every time you see my camera moving, you have to have a motivation. Find motivation for your character to move to. Uh-huh. So if you're watching the movie, every time you see, like, the camera starts to pan. Uh-huh. she's all, She's picking up mail. She's, you know, and so yeah. it was, like, this challenge that she had to, like, think of something to do every time. Yeah. So the fact that the camera is moving and mm-hmm. she is not... Uh-huh is a huge visual trigger Got
1: that she was dead. Got it. And it,
3: it shows the death mm-hmm. yep. very yep. clearly.
1: Yeah. And there, there's always that like movie trope that's like, they're not dead unless you see the body. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they did it in Stranger Things. It's, yeah. It's, it's true. Like a big recent one it's, that I can think of.
3: It is the golden rule. Yeah. yeah. If you don't see the death or you don't see the body, they do not die. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: yeah. They're just missing currently. Yeah. Yep. The casting in Psycho was a major part of its success. Joseph Stefano felt that the Norman Bates that is portrayed in the novel was not likable enough, so he changed the character from an older man to a young one that seemed vulnerable and sad. This was because once Marion is killed, the movie shifts its focus to Norman, and the audience needed to feel empathy towards his character. Once Stefano described the film version of Norman Bates, Hitchcock immediately suggested that Anthony Perkins play the part. Fortunately, Perkins was available, and Norman Bates would be the role that defined his acting career.
3: Truly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Truly. If people say Anthony Perkins. Norman Bates, that's, that's the first thing that comes yep. to mind. Yeah,
1: yeah. Before the script had been written, Alfred Hitchcock sent the book to actress Janet Leigh, asking her to consider playing the role of Marion. Lee wanted to say yes before even reading the book simply because she wanted to work with Hitchcock. It never bothered her that her character's story ended abruptly, and she was intrigued with how it was going to make the film work. Hitchcock wanted Lee because he needed a big name to draw in audiences and make them feel safe. He knew that audiences would believe that the film would not kill her character. This made the infamous shower scene so much more shocking.
3: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is something that people still believe.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Everybody thinks that characters have plot armor, plot armor and there's yeah. no <laughs> way that they're going to be killed off. Yeah. And 98% of the time, That's... people are correct. Yeah. Yep. Most of the time, it's like, well, they're not going to kill you yeah you're the lead
1: yeah like, the entire jurassic world trilogy yes yeah i mean plot armor the series yes
3: uh, <laughs> and plot armor it's it, the thing is is that people get really really upset when mm-hmm. they break this rule yeah but it's so effective yep. and nobody ever forgets it yep. and it becomes something that people truly love
1: switching characters like that is such an such a weird thing that people yeah. don't expect. Yeah. You expect yeah. to watch the arc of a character throughout a whole movie. Yeah, Because, yes. like, with Marion here, we expected to see her whole arc of yep. stealing the money and running away, changing, realizing that she's being crazy, and yep. deciding to give the money back mm-hmm. yep. and, like, turn everything back around. Yeah. But we don't. Right and up. that is such a, like rug out from under your feet kind yeah. of thing yeah. that you yep. can't help but have be affected by it. It's yeah.
3: really tough to do it and then make people care about the next character.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I, f- yep. for sure. Because,
3: yep. yeah, stories, Agreed. so many stories are character-driven. Yeah. Yep. And so if you get rid of... That's why characters have plot armor and people <laughs> don't want to kill them off. Yeah. Because if your story is character-driven and you get rid of your character... Yep. Yeah. You're gonna and... have to find someone new to drive your story. Yeah. And mm-hmm. often it's very difficult to get people to care yeah. about the next person. So this is generally just something people don't do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'll be honest, uh I kind of was almost as, if not more, bummed out about the private detective yes oh, because yeah. i really liked him yeah he, he was cool
0: yeah yeah he was
1: damn he was it smart yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. i like the way he talked and he was totally winning he yep. was totally beating norman bates in the in yeah. the discussion he was like yep. getting. he was like clearly yep. you you are involved in this because yeah. of how like how nervous you're acting yep. And it's just like he's winning yes, and yes. he Woo-hoo just doesn't and then, anymore yeah About halfway into the movie, the audience is introduced to Marion's sister, Lila, played by Vera Miles. Miles was meant to be in Hitchcock's film, Vertigo, but she had gotten pregnant. So because she was contracted to make another film with the director, she was cast as Lila. It's difficult to come into a movie that has just lost its seemingly main character and make the audience care about your role in the story. Hitchcock knew that Miles could make that part work.
2: I love how caring she was, though. She immediately was like, I don't care. I'm going to go find her. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, if you're not willing to go right now, then I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, oh, yeah. yeah.
1: So sweet. John Gavin played Sam Loomis, the man with which Marion was having an affair before she left town. Gavin would go on to play Julius Caesar in Spartacus. Which also premiered in 1960. He had many TV and film roles, and would make an appearance on the Alfred Hitchcock Hour a couple of years later.
0: Yeah, nice.
1: He was he was a pretty cool, like you know, kind of a kind <laughs> of a sleaze at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, but you know, once he realized, oh shoot, Marion's missing, he's like, now I'm with you. I'm helping. Yeah. So, and it and it was cool cuz he he did a couple of cool moments where he was when they were trying to distract Norman and all that stuff yeah. the yeah. way he like stood firmly in the door when he knew that Lila was sneaking away yeah. to a, to uh, the house and those kinds of moments where it's just like you know they're they're working so well as a team to yeah. be to yep. beat Norman and yep. I just it's cool
3: I love it. You know, you have Marion who was able to really carry the movie for the first part of it. Mm-hmm. And then she's gone. And then we need two characters to take Fill her place. Hers. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because it's, oh, man. you know, yeah. she was, so, it was such a weight, you know, that yeah. they, you know, they had two people do it. Yep. And I I love their dynamic together. Like when these two characters enter, yeah. they have plot armor. Yeah. It's like we're right. yep. not gonna do it twice in no. the same movie. Right. Yeah.
1: and and it's interesting kind of like they have these two characters to fill because they they create such a build up. Yeah. And then just cutting it off. But it's like, well, we still got still got two thirds of movie. Right. So, you know, it was <laughs> I, I, I think it was smart to do too, because it's yeah. like now you have both of these characters who play off each other yeah. and can work together. So they they yeah it, yes. it gives them an easier kind of in
2: yep.
3: to like yep.
1: continue the right. the yep. investigation as it were.
2: So let's talk about the music. Yeah. 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 I mean this movie would be fine without the music, right?
1: Disagree. <laughs> Not going to play into that joke. No yes and here.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like we were talking about a little bit before when a piece of music transcends everything that it was made for, then like it's it's beyond yeah. anything yeah. else. So you can't. You can't separate the two.
3: It's truly iconic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For the second time this month, we're bringing up Bernard Herrmann, a renowned film composer of Hollywood's golden age. Herrmann composed nearly 100 films over the course of his career, like Citizen Kane and Taxi Driver. He wrote the soundtrack to a lot of Hitchcock's films, like Vertigo, The Man Who Knew Too Much, North by Northwest, and of course, Psycho.
1: Of course. Hmm.
3: By the time that Psycho was released, Hitchcock and Herrmann had worked together for several years. Although Hitchcock was famous for managing every aspect of his movie, he left the score open for Herman to work on independently. Because the film was low budget, there wasn't a lot of money for music. Herman had a limited range of instruments available to him. He embraced this challenge and attempted to write a, quote, black and white score for a black and white movie. (laughs) He heavily utilized the string section placing mutes on the strings that made them sound dry and cold in comparison to strings in other classic hollywood scores. You know oh.
1: I I noticed that. Yeah. I didn't really understand why they or how so different. but it was yeah. like what is going on with those <laughs> yeah. with those cellos right yeah. now it's
3: like, or whatever. Yeah, they were. it was it's so
1: I think it's because when listening to a large string instrument like that whether it's yeah. cello bass, violin those kinds of things Every note, at least in those kinds of movies, they come in slow, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, yeah. slow in and slow out. Whereas here, yeah, you've
3: got he, the he hey! yeah, yeah. You
1: know, it's just like sound, 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 sound. <laughs> and it's and it's so jarring because yeah. you're so used to it one way, yes. hearing it this way is, is just off-putting.
0: Yeah,
3: cello.
1: Cello. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Cello. It's a bass.
1: Yeah. Oh, good movie. Good movie.
3: Uh, oh, and I want to talk about this black and white score for a black and white movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what he means is that when you make something in black and white, like mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock did with Psycho, people often think that black and white is, it's simpler right? Uh Sure. But the thing about black and white is it actually gives you so much freedom Mm -hmm. to do a lot of things that you wouldn't be able to do in color. Okay. You know, so because the way it works, like, I mean, of course you have to do some special tricks and stuff, right? Yeah. You gotta paint women's lips green so they look red. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. Yeah. When you take away the distraction of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's so much focus. Yeah. And it's just such a wider range of things that you can accomplish yep mm-hmm. and it's kind of like what he did with the orchestra he doesn't have a full orchestra yeah and so he's forced to use what he has and that right. helps with the creative process and it, ah, it helps right. him yes it helps him come up with these solutions to problems and yeah and these cool ideas you know <laughs> yeah. where just yeah. using the strings and not really having a percussion section
0: mm-hmm. and
3: having to use other instruments almost as percussion. Yes,
1: yeah. because in every other score, those hits of the, when the murder is happening, mm-hmm. this sound, 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 you know there'd be drums in that. Yes. Yeah. In every other movie, it's like bam, bam, bam. But yeah. you don't, but yeah. the violins do all the work. Yep. And the way you described it as like, you know, how they are limited... But also free to do other things, right? Yeah. Imagine, right? Picture the, the scene like they're down by the motel looking up at the house. That image with the moon and all that stuff that yeah. you're just talking about, in black and white, it almost becomes this beautiful contrast painting. Yeah. You know, yeah. without color, but the, you know, you're relying so much on the light and dark values. And it just pops. Yeah. Man. Even in grayscale, black yeah. and white, it just pops right off the screen. The moon is so bright against the silhouette of the house. It's like you yeah. can't, in color, it would be washed. Yep. You would see the green of the trees surrounding. You'd see whatever color the house is. All that stuff gone from black yeah. and white. And in the same way of music, that limitation breeds all this creativity to yeah. create it in like a. An interesting way that you couldn't do otherwise. I right. mean I don't yeah. I'm just I feel like I'm repeating what you said a little <laughs> bit. But it's just it's really true. It's like yeah. creative solutions yeah, it's because creative
3: problem solving. From the moment that the film begins, Bernard Herman alerts the audience that they are watching a true thriller. The music hardly lets the viewer take a breath, even in seemingly mild scenes. But the moment that makes all movie lovers cringe, the part of the score that can turn your blood cold is the infamous music during Marion's shower sequence. It's a harsh and unsettling sound. And it was unlike any film music that came before it. It made the scene infinitely more terrifying because it was, in some ways, scarier than the movie itself.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm, If if you hadn't, like, jumped
3: at what was
1: happening, you certainly jumped at the sound of it. You're in a
3: dark theater. Mm -hmm. It's 1960. Janet Leigh, a movie star, is in this brand new movie that you're watching. She's the main character, it seems. And she's taking a shower. You hear this ungodly musical sting mm-hmm. yep. in the movie. You're absolutely going to jump out of your skin. Yeah, yeah. You have yep. no idea that this is going to happen. Yeah. Because how could she get murdered?
1: Yeah. And
3: exactly. in such an intimate and sacred place yep. like the shower. Yep. yep. It's horrifying.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and actually, just like one second before that, something that I, part of the scene that I've never really like absorbed or seen. Yeah, was like the shot from within the shower.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And you can just ab- just about see through the curtain, and yes. you see yeah, the you doorway see just, just like uh, darken. Yeah, because you know the door just opened. Yeah. Because yeah. with and the door closed, it's all light, and yeah. it's just whoosh, now yeah. it's all dark. Like oh. Yeah.
3: Unbelievably, Hitchcock actually didn't want to use any music for the shower scene. He thought the sound of Marion's scream and her struggling would be more effective. But Herman disagreed and wrote music for the scene anyway. Later on, Hitchcock approached Herman and told him that the scene wasn't working and that he might need music.
1: Oh, well, gee willikers.
3: (laughs) Look at that. Herman happily offered the music that he had secretly written. And Hitchcock agreed that it fit the scene perfectly. Oh, nice. Yeah. And he, he wrote it anyway, and yep. then Hitchcock came to him, was like, "I'm gonna have to need I'm gonna need music after all." Yep. And he said, "Well, you know." I did write something.
2: If you'd like to hear it,
1: wow, that's so funny.
2: <laughs> I thought you might come back. I, <laughs> I had a no. feeling.
1: I am curious, though, to see it without music. Yeah, you just can. To, there, yeah? Yeah. there
3: is there is a version of it without the music. Okay, uh, yeah. I'm just curious,
1: like, because I totally agree that I there's no way it's going to be as effective. No, no. But I just I'm curious as to how it would. It's it
3: really to me without the music, it Mm. really reads more like a scene from like an early talkie. It's Mm. just this Mm. long, this long stretch of no music, yeah, and the scream and just the sounds. Oh yeah, and it feels it feels very old Hollywood.
1: Yeah, Yeah. interesting. It's
3: also scary, but the music really maybe. Yeah.
1: Maybe that's kind of where Hitchcock's head was at initially. It's yeah. like old Hollywood kind of technique where it's just like yeah. you you know, make them sit with it as yeah. it's happening. Yeah.
2: All right. Let's talk about its reception and its legacy. I mean, why are we still talking about it today? I mean, <laughs>
3: nobody knows about this. Movie. Yeah, I know. We
2: really honestly discovered Only it.
3: Only Sixties kids remember Psycho. Only
0: sixties
1: kids. Dude. <laughs> Why is that such a thing?
2: <laughs> Psycho was intriguing to so many people when it came out. One major reason for this, as we talked about before, was Hitchcock's plot to have moviegoers not arrive late and to not spoil the surprise. The approximate budget was $806,000 and it ended up with a box office gross of 32 <laughs> million.
1: Dude when <laughs> when was the last time you didn't say million mm-hmm. yeah. after a budget number? Yeah. yeah. Never. No. Yeah. Never ever.
2: Yep. God. So his little theory it worked, you it know. Sure it did. Did. Yeah. Which is why it was Hitchcock's highest grossing film at the time. Janet Lee, in her book Psycho, Behind the Scenes of the Classic Thriller, said that Hitchcock did not have her and Perkins do the usual promotional publicity for the film. Hitchcock, however, did possibly the most public relations for this film. She believed that there were two reasons for this. First was that it ensured that the ending was not leaked. The second reason is that she believed he was putting 110% of himself into the film because he wanted it to succeed and prove Paramount wrong in their assessment of its box office worth.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: absolutely.
3: Paramount was not happy with him Mm -hmm. because he was only contracted to do one more movie with them, Mm. and he's going to do this stupid (laughs) low-budget thing that's not going to make any money. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's like he's already contracted to do the next Star Wars or something. Yeah. so he's just he was, gonna throw yeah. in the towel because he yep. was
3: contracted for
2: Universal next.
1: huh. Yeah. and they were like, so there you he go. He
3: doesn't care.
2: Yeah.
0: So yeah. he's just wa- he's just wasting me? it.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> According to Janet Lee, the critics had about sixty percent negative to forty percent positive when it first came out.
3: Yeah. What?
2: Yeah. This is something. Not, yeah. <laughs> this is
3: something that's so interesting about Hitchcock is that his movies were at first truly received as entertaining.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. Ways to entertain yep. the masses, wow. you know. Wow.
3: Popcorn flicks. Yep. And it wasn't until years later that people started to really consider his movies as like cinema. Yeah. As like film, yep. you know. Yeah. Holding yeah. things like it's, you know, a truly important piece the of true film art history. Of it. Yeah.
2: Wow. Roger Ebert, in his review, said what makes Psycho immortal when so many films are already half forgotten as we leave the theater is that it connects directly with our fears, our fears that we might impulsively commit a crime, our fears of the police, our fears of becoming the victim of a madman, and of course, our fears of disappointing our mothers.
3: So much fear in this movie. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, from, of... from everybody. Yep. Yeah.
2: Just a whole wide range of it, you know? The fear of the police came directly from Alfred Hitchcock himself, who was terrified of law enforcement. As a child, his father took him to the police station for acting out, and they pretended to arrest him as punishment. He told the story often as an adult. And was not shy about his uneasiness around police. Bro. Yeah. It
0: was, he was terrified yeah. of the police. Too they, like, much. put
2: him in a cell for a couple of minutes just to kind of, like, shake him up and then let him go. I
3: know. It was so funny. His daughter was Ugh. like, they say, he he would always say it was a cell. Yeah. She's like, I doubt it. They probably just <laughs> left him in a room, you know. Probably a on minutes. a bench or yeah, something. Yeah, <laughs> they probably just left him
2: alone and made him yeah. think that he was locked up. And, <laughs> but still a bit extreme, but, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely psycho inspired many films for years to come for example the 1996 film scream used alfred hitchcock's trick of casting an a-list actor and promoting the film as if she were the lead because scream was a parody of the horror genre it made sense for the film to reference one of the most famous thrillers of all time and the trick worked just as well in nineteen ninety-six as it did in nineteen sixty. I was
1: gonna say <laughs> this is one like I even I've never seen Scream, but I knew yeah. about this one too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like, what do you mean she's only in the first few minutes? <laughs>
3: yeah. Scream's marketing was mm-hmm. I mean, they did what Hitchcock did. Yeah. yeah. They yep. truly Hitchcock didn't even give Janet Lee top billing. No. They gave Drew Barrymore top billing. Ah, yeah. They made Drew Barrymore. They cut every trailer. For sure. The main they character. cut tr- every trailer yeah. out of her scene. Yep. Like it was mm-hmm. that the entire trailer was basically her. Like <laughs> yeah. you, you had a couple of Nev Campbell in there, but really yeah, but it mostly, was mostly Drew yeah. Barrymore.
1: All right. Now we've got some fun facts. <gasps> Everybody's favorite what? part. It's
3: my favorite part of the episode.
1: Alfred Hitchcock's daughter appears in the movie. She plays Caroline, a co-worker of Marion. She often wanted to take part in Hitchcock's movies, but he would only cast her if she was exactly right for the part.
3: He was ah. like, no Nepo babies here. No freebies.
1: <laughs> you gotta be right.
3: Nice. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so she's the like kind of quirky... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Co-worker yeah. in the beginning she's of the like, movie. She's like, "What?
2: You're not gonna just take some ibuprofen or medicine or whatever and stick it out? Yeah. Like, no, I'm gonna sleep it off.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because the film was in black and white, Hitchcock was able to use chocolate syrup to simulate blood instead of red corn syrup. The ah.
3: famous, the famous trivia. Yes. Of, yep. of Hitchcock of, <laughs> of Psycho. Tis yep.
1: true, everyone. Yes. It's- In the beginning of his filmmaking career, Hitchcock would make cameo appearances in his movies because they needed more people in the crowd shots. After a while, audiences came to expect to see Hitchcock cameos in his movies, and he always delivered. In Psycho, the cameo is very early on when Marion is at work. If you look out the front window, you can see his profile as he stands on the sidewalk.
3: Yep. Uh, You have to be an eagle eye really to see it.
1: And it's so funny how he's got like because of some of these, he's got like a famous profile. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? And his
3: he would use his profile in his TV show Uh presents. Uh So he'd step into the and you'd see the
0: profile. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a that's an unusual thing to have. A famous (laughs) profile. A famous silhouette and you're not a cartoon character. You know? Norman munches on candy corn throughout the film, which makes him appear bird-like. Norman references birds as he does taxidermy as a hobby.
2: He just stuffs them, you know, like he's not a bird. Yeah, like he doesn't he, know he, about birds. He yeah, just yeah. Them. He
1: he, and he says he doesn't do other <laughs> animals because birds are very like they don't do much while they're alive, so yeah. he doesn't feel bad about it, I guess. Yeah. Because he said he doesn't want to do dogs and foxes and things yeah. like that. Mm. But the birds don't seem so Yeah. yeah. out of place, I guess, yeah. which is just the creepiest Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Mentality. <laughs> for me,
2: I feel like him eat, chewing on that candy corn was very creepy. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. the way he did it. Like mm-hmm. he would just pop one yeah, in. It's like Another this weird reason chewing... why we
3: shouldn't eat candy corn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Just, it's it's evil. Yeah. It's to
3: the eat. official candy of Norman Bates. There, yes. Yeah.
1: See, yeah. there we go. You know what? That's
3: going to
2: be my new
3: way to say don't eat yeah. candy
0: yeah.
1: Corn. There you go. Yeah. The Bates Hotel, sponsored by Brax <laughs> candy, candy Corn. corn. <laughs> <laughs> Hitchcock liked to scare Janet Lee, and so she never knew what would be in her dressing room. To her, it seemed as though he was testing out the look of mother. She enjoyed it and would often play games with him and Anthony Perkins.
2: Yeah, she said they had a great grand old time
1: on set.
3: Yeah, she said Anthony Perkins was very, very kind.
1: So you got any final thoughts on this absolutely classic movie i i will say that i am glad to have now seen it yeah because now i know all of it
2: Yeah. now, yeah. You're, now you're in the now club you're informed. yeah
1: yes because like yeah. i said i i had just assumed that the famous shower scene was right. like yeah. that was it man that yeah. was near the end of the movie and it was near the end and that but nope yeah. there's so much movie left see and isn't it,
3: it cool that you can come into a movie with certain ideas yeah, and then find out that you're wrong yeah. about those ideas. Yeah. 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 You might see. be wrong about see. other see. horror movies. Yeah. 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 yeah, I see where yeah. you're getting at, yeah. but I'm
1: not gonna fall for yeah. it, right?
3: yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking it's possible, you know. um, Totally possible.
1: I guess, oh God.
3: Well, yeah, this movie I mean, we can't really overstate it. It's incredibly classic. Yeah, it led to so many other movies like it Mm -hmm. because at the time, nothing really was like this. No, it really was kind of brand new. Yeah, (laughs) it had so many twists and subverted so many expectations. Yeah, and it was just incredible. And I just think that you know, when you talk about it, there's so many things you can you could just talk about this movie for hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is so scary in a sense that it's very suspenseful but also if you have to really if you look within (laughs) at all of the things (laughs) that really scare you this is a movie that really taps into a lot of those things and i'll never forget you know hearing that story for the first time as a kid and just being so scared to take a shower for i'm not exaggerating years yeah it's so it was such an effective yeah like story on me and you know, I'm so glad that I eventually watched the movie, <laughs> yeah, because you know, I too had ideas about it and w- was like, oh, I was wrong, okay, well, that's good,
2: <laughs> it's not as scary as I, I
3: thought.
1: I mean, it honestly, would be. truly, yeah. in the
2: spirit of how the first viewers they had yes. ideas about it and they were wrong, they were very wrong,
1: and and really, like, for me, the whole part with the mom and yeah, it like. Yeah. The reveal at the end with that too, I was just like, yeah,
3: yep. Not only is she mm-hmm. dead, he's holding her corpse in the he's, house. She
1: yeah. been dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: she,
0: she been. <sighs> Man,
1: oof. Yep. That that. <sighs> sorry, that no, go ahead. um that like divot in the bed too. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. When she's looking around the bedroom, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like okay. So clearly the mom doesn't move ever. Mm-hmm.
2: Ever, yeah. In the and scene, but before yeah. you know yeah. the truth, yeah, like, she's been decomposing there. Yeah, yeah. 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 <sighs> Man, uh, but this this one really the Haze Code too. It was near the end of mm, the Haze mm. Code, so he really helped push those those limits of the Haze Code to kind of yeah. help help get get that Haze Code out of there. Yeah.
1: You yeah. know, yeah. so <laughs> kind of the straw <laughs> that broke the camel's back. Yeah, kind it was, of a movie. It was
2: definitely one of those that was yeah. like, yeah. All right. This has got to change now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: When we discuss the history of the horror film genre, Psycho is almost always part of the conversation. Although there had already been several Alfred Hitchcock movies by 1960, none of them were like Psycho. This was a defining moment, not just for horror, but for cinema in general. It was a movie that seemingly broke all the rules
2: when big-name filmmakers were all embracing color as the future hitchcock opted for black and white although he had the means for a big budget film he intentionally made his movie as low budget as possible and most shockingly of all he hired a well-known actress and made her appear as the film's heroine only to kill her a third of the way through the story
3: Psycho masterfully conveys some of mankind's biggest fears. It was a fierce reminder that no one is ever truly safe, and that people may not be what they seem. Its very loose ties to a real story reminds us that horror can be found anywhere, although it's best to experience it in the form of a good story. So if you're interested in learning about horror cinema, make sure you give Psycho a good visit. We just mean the movie, of course, because if you ever happen to come across any creepy roadside motels with a large house and someone watching from an upstairs window, it's best to keep driving.
1: Move along. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you very much, everyone. That is a case closed. It's All pretty good. Right. right. Yeah. I'll take it.
3: That's a frightening February close. It Ooh. sure is. It's
2: the last ever frightening February. Yeah.
1: Yes. In its Cry your tears form. now. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it that sad, though?
2: We know Adam will be crying tonight. As we oh, go oh. on, we remember <laughs> this frightening February. Oh, oh,
1: t- all
0: the have oh, oh, had
2: together. together. There you
1: go. She's tried to squeeze in too many syllables there. I
0: Martha. did, I did. <laughs>
1: Oh, the February Friday time that we had. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Stop it now. I'm ending it here. Oh,
3: no. Before we
1: go, everyone, we'd like to thank our patrons. John, JD, Anthony, Shelly, Bob, and Jacob. Thank you guys so very much.
3: Thank you, guys. We really appreciate you.
1: You mean the absolute world to us. We hope you enjoyed the extended version of this episode. There's some pretty great stuff in it this time yeah. if I do say so myself yeah well All right. <laughs>
3: see you later alligator
1: bye. <laughs> after a while
2: crocodile He's so, we're so cute <laughs> <laughs> bye
3: later
1: bye. they're probably watching me well let them let them see what kind of a person I am not even gonna swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see, they'll see and they'll know and they'll say why she wouldn't even harm a fly.